Blog Talk Radio. This week's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Radio to start your free trial membership. Broadcasting live from the PCR studio. The Emperor has been expecting you. Where Geekishik and Pandemonium reign supreme. Come to the coast and get together, have a few laughs. Your host will discuss everything you need to know about the world of Geek. Oh yeah! So grab your staff, throw on your cape, and roll your 20-sided die. Because it's time for... Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Then another one by Sadus. Yes, I should. Bam, bam, Yes. So we're reducing the cost uh, of our show, so I, I think we're going to have to quit killing off R2. Yeah, each episode. Yeah, it, it's just too expensive to build up, repair that droid. That's- well, a lot of cred. Yeah, that and also, also, you know, think about the expensiveness of the mystery boxes that he's crashing into. Well, yeah. Although, although I've kind of, I've had to like, you know, duck down on the on the 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 quality of mystery items in said mystery boxes. Yep. So it's really like McDonald's wrappers and yeah, well, other things. I'm, I'm not like, burning a Rembrandt every evening. It, like it's just a poster or five now. Years straight, my aunt and uncle would just give me a box full of shredded newspapers and folded $1 bills for Christmas. Nice. <laughs> All it was. It be like $21 bills, or sometimes they leave one out, so it would be like 19 and they'd forget that they left one out. And so I'd spend 15, 20 minutes every Christmas morning trying to find the extra $1 yeah. bill. At one point, I just started paying their children to find it for me out of the money <laughs> they gave me for Christmas. Wow. <laughs> there was one year they stuck a wet log in there because they were trying to throw off the weight. I really, I don't like them. For, for a, uh, a white elephant gift, one of, uh, at one of my offices that I worked at, uh, we I did uh, twenty five dollars worth of gift cards in five to twenty five cent increments. You are, and then I, and then I filled the box up. You know that that like that fake snow that's like kind of a, yeah. like, glitters in it. Stuff that gets everywhere. And it just gets everywhere. Yeah. I filled the box with the with the glitter stuff. How long were you with that company afterwards? Um, a few a few years. It was a it was a Coast Guard unit. So I would have let you go earlier. Note <laughs> note to self: We are never doing white elephants. Oh, we are yeah. so doing a white elephant one of these days. We got enough of us. Yeah. Holy crap! We've got a ton around the table. So Party. let's just, to, to show how many people we have here now, I think we should do our introductions. That's uh, Revan. It's guy named Joe. Great, mighty, and powerful Lord Plagoon. I have survived the great and mighty gummy bear cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bad. Revan just turned bright red at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got I little know. Ben. Who's next? I'm here. Zakora. Zakora. This is Colin. And Nastwe. Cannot hear. We can't hear a word you just said. Nope, nope. He's he's on, I think. Follow the cord. Is it plugged in? (laughs) Find out. I don't think so. This is the amazing cord. Oh, the shaft. 
Now, we have got so many people here, not everybody's even actually plugged in. How's that sound? Whoa, you're Plug plugged in. in. <laughs> Stick away from it. So, do I need the introduction again? Yes, yes you need because no one heard you. Again. OP, short for operator. We'll just... Same thing as the operator. Yeah. Dude, we have an operator now. Yeah. We can get into the Matrix. Yes. Was, yeah, that's exactly why. It was the gamer tag I picked for uh, my Xbox Live because I felt idea. like the operator. What did you just say? I'm not going in the Matrix <laughs> with you guys. That's oh, fine. Come on. No, not leaving one of you out there somewhere to tell us what we're doing inside. That's fine. <laughs> we're, 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 we're leaving. You can trust we're leaving, me. We're leaving OP now. Me? It just no. means... I'm a Minecraft server. It just means... Because he knows that if we get him into the, the, the Matrix, he's going to be stuck in the infinite truffle shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Colin. You know, no, that was... Do the truffle shuffle. I'm not I doing the truffle shuffle. Do it! Much <laughs> too fat to do the truffle shuffle at the moment. You have so much fat. To Give me till August. Give me till August. I'll do it in August. You should do it now. I'm not doing it now. You See, that wasn't the plan, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it now. now. You do it. I'll do it with you. I'm not doing it with you. All right. No. It's with that said, too, let's move on. So, uh, all right, I think I think we've uh, beaten this horse. We have. Now. We got a great show tonight. We have uh, Margaret Weiss and uh, Monica Valentinetti mm-hmm. coming on the uh, show to talk about the upcoming release of their core rulebook for Firefly, the RPG. Oh, I mean, boy! We talked to them uh, what, last year? or the, Yeah, last yeah, year. last just, year. Just before Gen Con, because they were releasing a special Gen Con version of this. With, so, it wasn't the full... Uh, rules, but enough to play, yeah. which we've done several times. We've loved it. Um, so they're coming in on talking about it. And then after that, uh, we wrap that up, we're going to have a second interview with Craig Cormick talking about his new book, The Shadow Master. And he, we, we're actually engaging the TARDIS so we can talk to the future because it's, tr- it's Friday for him. Kind of sound I'm missing that, but I'm leaving early to see Godzilla tonight. You so. suck. It, guys. You are a terrible, great person. I know I am. So because of that, I expect a review on the website. Okay. I can do uh, that. Okay. Snyder's and then tomorrow. And then tell your dad. Mm. Because he knows why. Mm. I know. Yeah. yeah. Five <laughs> words or less. Five words or less. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to write, go see it. Yeah. Go see <laughs> With it. two exclamation points. Don't, Don't go see so it. Because Godzilla is coming out, I found this amazing series of YouTube videos. That gives a review of every Godzilla movie, which amazingly there's 28 of them, in a two to three. Amazingly, <laughs> because they're awesome. No, like I knew there was 28 yeah, of them. I watched every one of them. They're, with they're, my little girl. I know. I, I watched them too. But they're these are two to three minute interviews. Uh, uh, there's this one reviews I, you mean? Or reviews? Excuse me, okay. not interview. I was watching one before I, I came to do the show, and there's this one where Godzilla is playing volleyball with this giant rock with. The, the winged uh, Rodan, I think is the monster's name. And Mothra is just kind of staying on the ground, and they're, they're playing volleyball, and then he starts spinning webs onto, onto Godzilla, and Rodan's laughing, and then he spits it on Rodan, and then Godzilla's like, it's the goofiest thing in the world, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Good idea. Why don't you throw it up on the Facebook page? I, I'll, I'll get those up. Yeah. We'll get some more likes. Yes, yeah. we must. More yeah. likes. Whoop. We did pretty well this week. Yes. We're up 30. Yeah, we, we are. All right. Um, not only that, yes, uh, we've, we've, got, uh, we've got lots and lots of free stuff on the way that we can start giving away on what? the show. What? Freebies? I know. That's like my favorite thing. I know. It, it's awesome. You don't get to keep them. No, no. I mean, I love giving away. He likes giving stuff. away yeah, stuff. I already got free stuff, so I'm he, good. I just envision Joe like hoarding it like... Uh, no, Joe's like Santa Claus. Like sitting on top of it. <laughs> no, that's Lagoon. Lagoon's the hoarder. Joe's Santa. 
Yeah. He just gives stuff away jollyly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. Mary so Nerdman. While we're waiting for Margaret to call us in, <laughs> yes. uh, I just got to talk about how awesome the Game of Thrones, last episode of Game of Thrones was. The, it was the, uh, uh, the trial of Tyrion. From uh, from uh, you know he's he's on trial because he's being, the best part he's is being I can just mute him. You could <laughs> should I? Anyways, no. Anyways. yeah. So yeah, Tyrion's being on put on trial for uh, killing Joffrey, and uh, he gives the uh, guilty of being a dwarf speech. So anybody who's read the books know what that that is. But Peter Dinklage up delivers a very great performance of that particular. Uh, Speech. So he was, uh, oh, he, he, he was well justified in he, getting totally hammered right afterwards? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's right. Like, that, that was, that, if you were playing the Game of Thrones drinking game, that's like drink the whole six pack because <laughs> it was, it was Peter Dinklage. Well, because you'll probably only, ha- you'll, you'll probably only have six by the time of uh, that. So you'll be finish. You'll okay. You'll be finishing off your half rack. Okay. Happy. There we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. So People yeah. In the chat, say, back away from the spoilers. Oh, game back of spoilers. Away. Game of spoilers. Game of spoilers. It's happening. Game of spoilers. It's uh, on now. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna be opening up the phone lines for anyone listening out there. If you want to talk to Margaret Weiss or, uh, I'm gonna say I keep gonna say Valerie Van Vanelli. Monica Valtanelli. Monica Valtanelli. If you want to call in, you can call us at 626-226-1475. Lines are open right about ooh, now. Uh, all the time. But uh, well, you can also uh, send us an email at info at com, or you can also uh, join us on a live chat. Join Colin at the, at the live chat. Uh, Colin, you want to tell him how to get into there? Oh, you just go to dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Click on Listen Live. Go down to the bottom of the blog talk radio page and join the chat. Make sure to register, subscribe, and comment. Woo-hoo. I feel weird when you talk sultry like that into the microphone. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's for you. Good, it's for me. It's all for you. Right? I'm going to wink at you now. <laughs> a little creepy. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> Just a bit here. You and your other friends outside of this. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little creepy. You guys get a little handsy with each other. Just Whoa, saying. Not, a little handsy. Oh. Hey, we're not handsy. We're affectionate. <laughs> Exactly. We we are we are sharing in a very uh, a very steeped and honored bro tradition. I don't want to know about this tradition. It's not anything I know about. It's called bromance. It's not a bromance. Yeah, I've seen how you guys are you are you jealous? Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. I'll, I'll I'll let you in on it. I don't want in on it. I know who your partner is in this, and I don't want in on it. <laughs> in my corner. And, uh, Away from you two. <laughs> <laughs> what the crap is this? All right. So, are, uh, is Margaret on yet? So She's Revolution. calling right now. Okay. Oh, good. Awesome. All right. Whew. So let's add Monica to the call, and then we will pick up. Uh, pick up Mark. So here we go. We're. Can't believe it's like the first time that I've bollocked up a name in like forever. Yeah, I was surprised. I'm usually so good about this. Here we go. Darling? Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Okay, we've got Monica on the line. Now let's add Margaret. Hopefully this all works. So hopefully this Welcome. isn't too much like a workplace call. Welcome aboard. Is uh, is everybody here? I'm here. 
All right. All right. Woo, party's on. We've got everybody here. we got a full party. We do. All right. We've got Margaret Weiss and Monica. Oh, you, you botched it. Now I'm going to I'm gonna second. Valatinetti. I'm going to second guess my the name. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Well, welcome. How are you guys this evening? Good. Oh, I'm doing good. Good. So how have things been moving along? With getting the core rule books rolled out, it's been going really good. I mean, people are very excited with the digital version that we put up on Drive Through, and we're waiting to hear back um, from our distributors. And um, we've got some we're trying to get uh, firm counts on how many copies we're going to print before we can announce a print date. But we're really excited. It's going great. Yeah. Yeah. The I, everybody loved the core book. I mean, <laughs> we just got we've gotten great reviews on it, and um, you know everybody from from the art to the content. Uh, Monica and her team just did a really super job. So, then what was it like putting the very the the very first bit of of rules and first bit of system and um, and all the fluff? How I mean, how did that first look? <laughs> Fluff. <laughs> oh, I don't like that word. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, for for us, we the rules are part of the setting, um, and one of the things that we did was, um, which a lot of people have commented on in a very positive way, and it was it was a conversation I had with Margaret early on, something that I wanted to do, was apply the rules to the episodes themselves. And we did that by having over a third of the core book is the episode guide where we take each episode and we do a really in-depth analysis of it. Um, but we also provide all of the characters. So we have something like 75-plus Game Master characters um, in the core book, many of which come from the show, and we throw in a lot of Easter eggs in that. But our rules came from the show. Okay. So our um, distinctions, which can be used either positively or negatively, are titled and have a lot of the Firefly feel and a lot of the Firefly flavor. Um, and then the rules that you use at the table, assets and complications, are also themed in line with the show. So we, what we tried to present with the Firefly core book was a comprehensive game that was based not only on the show but made it feel like you were actually on the set, which was very important to us. Um, because there's a lot of brown coats out there who are very interested in Whedon, in Firefly, and also in trying out role-playing games, and we wanted to have a, an immersive experience. And so far, um, as Margaret has said, a lot of people are, have been very excited about the reviews, and I've been paying very close attention to apply that elsewhere in the line. So we're we're extremely happy with the feedback, and really, I don't I don't think this could have turned out any better. I mean, it did a really, it turned out really well, and everybody worked really hard, and um, everybody on the project is super passionate, and we just picked the best people. So nice. Well, I mean, I have to say, from what I mean, we've played it a few times. Uh, from the times we've played it, it definitely has that feel, and it's lots of fun. Um, especially just the mishaps that can happen, just from mm -hmm. people's roles. 
You know, it's not like a they failed, but you know, it can really mess up some things down the the line with the story. Yeah, you're taking off, yeah. and uh, oh, we just broke the entire ship, and we're crashing <laughs> to our dooms. <laughs> yeah, the dreaded the best... one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Our uh, our pilot rolled was it six ones in a row? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, it, no. it did not go well. <laughs> Needless to say, the ship was doomed. They lived, but it was doomed. Oh, that's really funny. Well, I mean, we've that's had great. a lot of of great stories just from the game and, and our gameplay. So, I the the Cortex system seems to really work for this with the the dice pool and that because, um, I mean, just the guys around the table, they're just like they're like, oh, I can do this, I can do like that and that, and then then they roll it all together, and you know, you think you get some really high numbers, but it, you get some pretty fairly equal numbers coming out and. So it kind of balances uh-huh. the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and part of the part of the dice pool mechanic, especially with a, with a more narrative based game like this, um, with having the two highest dice for each dice pool, whether it's the GM or the player, um, we wanted the GM to kind of be the person that's facilitating the game, but also feel like they're managing a character that is equal to the players. So like all of the major GMCs, your Badger, um, I know Margaret really likes Niska. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, um, I just like the bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all of those, all of those big name characters are power level wise um, mm-hmm. behind the scenes with the system. They're on equal level with the players. So even some of the characters that the that the GM is managing is on par with the players. So when they're when he's putting or she's putting together their dice pool, um, those dice are no different from what the player might do, and it, it makes it feel like it's like you're really facing somebody that you know you can go up against and mm-hmm. um, you know just try to take down. And and I really myself I really like that aspect of it because it's not that the GM is trying to stick it to the players or you know just um, you know try to make things very complicated for the players I mean you can get into trouble all by yourself oh, yeah. <laughs> you, don't need the GM to do that. you don't need a GM's help <laughs> it's very easy uh, you know, now with the core rule books we're going to see a lot of characters that we saw in the TV series Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming also the movie as well. So, not the movie. No movie. Okay. Not the movie. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's Margaret, would you like? Yeah, it's a different license. Okay. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Working. So, are is there a really good system that help that allows you to design a really solid character that you could play as someone not in the the show, as well as a ship? You know, maybe you don't want a Firefly okay. class. Maybe you want a different one. Oh yeah, yep, we've got we have. Of... <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> did you did you want to go, Margaret? You can you no, can go, go if ahead, you want. Go ahead. Um, no, we have okay. three. We have three different ways for character generation. Um, because this is a conversation that Margaret and I had definitely early on, and especially with um, the team, is that we wanted to provide as many different possibilities as playing the characters as possible. Um, our, our goal with the core book was to establish the rules of the Firefly verse and provide as much canon as possible and then expand it a little bit and then expand it further as we go on the line. And in the core book, we have three different types of characters that you can play. You can play as the main cast, 
which is the first type. And it's really, really, really easy for new players to pick up a character that they already know because it takes the intimidation out of trying to learn how to role play a brand new character because they know what Wash is like or they know what, you know, Jane. Um, Margaret plays a really good Jane, by the way. <laughs> um, they, they know what Jane is like, okay? Okay. Um, the second type is something that I feel really allowed us to hone into all of the secondary and supporting cast characters is they are archetypes. We did 12 of them um, last year. They debuted in the Gen Con exclusive, and then we added an additional 12 for the core book. Um, in the character creation chapter, I separated those out by the different areas of the verse, which is core, border, and rim. And then we also have original character creation. So the archetype templates are basically designed to give you almost all of the rules and everything with a sample background, all of the possibilities that you could want. And then you just have to make a few tweaks on it and then you're good to go. But it takes some of the guesswork out of those secondary characters because those characters existed, but they weren't as fully fleshed out as the main cast is. Um, I, I believe... You know, a lot of people, when they talk about Firefly, they talk about how much they love the main cast and how much they love those characters. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was very important to try to develop other opportunities so that you would fall in love with whatever new characters that you came up with. Um, for example, Margaret, did you want to talk about what you did for wedding planners? And um, I was thinking in particular of Sante when you were developing oh. that. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know. My, one of my favorite things is to develop characters. Um, and uh, so when I did wedding planners, I had a. Uh, as it turns out, she was she is she is the wedding planner. That's her cover. But in reality, she's like a, a Navy SEAL. She's um, undercover ops, black ops kind of person, and. Um, so putting her together was was really a lot of fun. And we we took that inspiration um, from Margaret's character, and we developed um, we actually reused her again in an upcoming book on the line. And but that sort of duality that Margaret represented in her character is, can be found in a lot of the characters that we have um, because the archetypes. The main thing is, do you have a reason to get off your planet? or your moon <laughs> to fly around in a ship with all these other sorts of people. And then the second question was, um, when we were looking at the archetypes, was what what was there compelling to this character that um, made them interesting and provided a source of conflict? And, and Asante, as Margaret had just explained, is a good example of that because she's kind of got this duality to her, and all of the characters tend to have a duality to them that we that make them more interesting in role play. Okay, yeah, so then when, really uh, oh, so did you guys create any new characters? Well, I mean, they they kind of made, took some archetypes and then just kind of created their own personality around those archetypes. Yeah, Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I, I took the gambler, and uh, I just kind of made him as, like, uh, George Clooney's character from O Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's cool. 
Yeah, I, I, we've had some fun. I mean, we did uh, kind of a special game that we ran during a charity, and we had several people around the table, and Larry Correa, that writes Monster Hunter International, was sitting with us, and he played Jane, because we were kind of, you know, he's kind of our special guest, and he's really good friends with Adam Baldwin, and the whole time we were playing, he was tweeting to him, guess who I'm playing? I'm playing you! <laughs> um, <laughs> and he, I mean, That's he played cool. Jane perfectly. I mean, there's one scene where... They just finished a job, or they're yeah. They just finished a job there in this bar, and he's upstairs with this woman, and unfortunately, she has a husband that's looking for her, and he happens to roll perfectly. That he, this is the guy kicks the door open, he punches the guy, knocks him over the banister and onto a table below, and he's st- and he like he's like he's like. I walk out butt naked in all my glory, and and I say, and stay out, and then I turn around and shut the door, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is like perfect, Jane. So. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still laughing and rolling, just having tons of fun with this game. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of curious then, is how did you initially start exploring the, and then refining the feel of the television show into a game? Because I imagine that you couldn't just take an episode and be like, okay, it's a game now. <laughs> um, we, we split the roles of who was in charge of what on the actual core book to try to allow people to specialize a little bit more. Um, I I was in charge of canon because there's a lot of things that we wanted to make sure didn't stray into the Serenity territory. Yeah. Um, as Margaret had explained, the licenses were different. So um, so one of the things that I did is I worked with our systems team. We actually have a systems team which is led by Mark Diaz Truman, and I said, well, for, first thing we did, which um, was something that Margaret was involved with too, we. That's how we started. We were like, well, you know, you've watched this show a lot. You've seen a lot of these individual episodes. Which are some of your favorite scenes that you would, you know, that you really remember? And people contributed to a lot of those discussions. We had a lot of Facebook discussions, a lot in the forum, a lot on Twitter, telling us what they really liked about the show. And then from there, I collated that list, and I came up with some really good scenes to do in-game examples for the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we started with is we, we basically ran dual development. We started with the system while some of the book was coming together for the Gen Con exclusive, as you recall, which came out last year. And then what we did after the Gen Con exclusive came out is that we took a look at the feedback that we got. We also took a look at um, how Wedding Planners and Shooting Fish, our two debut adventures, premiered. And from there, we refined the feedback, and we um, made additional changes both to the adventures and to the core book to make enhancements and um, flesh out the outline that I had presented. So it, 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 was, it was kind of like this marriage of perfect timing because when we got the license at the end of February and Margaret had mentioned that you know we should keep Gen Con on our horizon, the exclusive allowed us to really 
tap into excited fans and really um, give them a really great experience. And then we enhance that experience to make the game even stronger. And to me, I think the core book turned out great because we had the exclusive. I, I don't think, I think if we didn't have the exclusive, we might have like shoved some of that awesome <laughs> onto the, onto the first supplement. But because we had this, this preview of, our approach and how we wanted to do everything, it, it really enhanced and made a big difference for the line. Yeah, it's really important yeah. um, to get feedback, and we really appreciate, you know, all, all the feedback we get. Because, you know, you learn from the negatives. Um, and, uh, and, so, and that, that was really, really good. And, uh, and it was, you know... Oh, hello. Uh, I think we lost. Are you, Margaret. Are you there, Margaret? Is Monica still there? I'm still here. Okay. okay. Looks like we lost Margaret. Yeah, the connection looks like it lost. Oh, that's too bad. She was like explain. No, she's not on Skype. She's in traditional phone. Oh no! Oh no! I know. Oh. Well, this might be a good time to hurry and pay the bills then while we're waiting. Yeah. For yeah. I'll let. Uh, we'll, we'll play a quick drop and then we will be right back. And hopefully, Margaret will call right back. We'll be uh, just a second. This next half of the interview is going to be brought to you by Amazon.com. Uh, once you're done with listening to the show, if you want to get yourself any of the other books that you've been uh, hearing about in the past few weeks, just go to the sidebar uh, located at DungeonCollegeRadio.com, clear out your cookies, enter in your search term, and shop as normal. It doesn't cost you anything extra and uh, even kicks a little bit of money back to us. So it's not entirely a selfless gesture. That's Amazon.com. We're back, and it looks like so is Margaret. So Yay! I'm going to pick this so, up. Uh, real quickly, yes. uh, the phone lines are still open. Call us at 626-226-1475 if you want to ask uh, Monica or Margaret any questions about the Firefly RPG, because, heck, they made it. And it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have you back, Margaret? Yes. I don't know what All happened. Right. Yay! Yay! Okay. Yay! Yay! Yeah, about that. <laughs> phone just heck. went berserk. <laughs> yeah. Technology sometimes. That's your four G LTE working for you right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then, um, moving forward with because uh, now that you've got the the rule book sort of figured out and you're just figuring out how to get to press, then I mean, what what sorts of things can we expect to see in the first supplement? Well, the first supplement is called Things Don't Go Smooth, and it is a book of thirteen antagonists. They're all brand new. Um, those are broken out into three different types. We have spies and crime bosses. We have rival crews with crew leaders. And then we have all of the unexplained weird stuff in the verse. Um, we have, we, we separated them out pretty evenly there. It's like the configuration is something like five, four, four, somewhere around there. And then, um, in addition to that, we also have a brand new ship chapter with a whole bunch of enemy boats and rules on how you can create your own classes and different distinctions specifically related to ships. And then we also have a large, very extensive GM's chapter. The GM's chapter was based on feedback that we had gotten from the core book. We have a job generator. 
in there so people can build their own episodes. Um, we also have new rules in the form of scene and location triggers, which are based on scene and location trait dice that are added ad hoc to your roles. We also have a ton of advice on introducing antagonists and role-playing antagonists. And then we, um, right now the current plan is to have two episodes in the book book that kind of show off a lot of these rules. And in the appendix, in addition to all the new distinctions we have, we also have a rules fact. We've been collating some of the information from the forums and some of the questions that people have had um, to get those questions addressed actually in the supplement. So that is what's going in that book. Ah, okay. So, wow. Um, how, how are you... Then how are you approaching like artwork for then the stuff that's beyond what appeared in the television show? Um, that's a really that's a really great question. We um, if you notice in the core book those in universe posters, mm-hmm. um, those were designed by Daniel Solis, and right now the plan is to continue that look and feel where we do basically some enhanced uh, in-universe posters. Um, as a surprise for Margaret, we put a poster in the core book for the Rim's, uh, for the, uh, the Rim's Dream, her boat from her adventure, actually. <laughs> I know, that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like, oh, we need to do something for Margaret. Let's do this. Um, yeah, my cruise. That's my cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, and um, and I want to continue doing that. Um, also, little Easter eggs like that. We're also going to be doing more, playing around more with the um, advertisements. Um, if you recall, the I don't I don't know if you remember watching Ariel, but Jane was on the monitor in the hospital and he's calling up, you know, the Alliance, you know, China, China, and this blue sun commercial comes up for, uh, for the soda. I want to play around more with stuff like that. And then, um, we're also taking a look at different options. I know we talked about doing ship schematics. We are exploring that as an option. Right now it's a little too fresh in the conversation to know exactly where we're going. So, but um, our, our primary goal is to make sure that our supplements match the look and feel of the core book so that you're not picking up a book that's completely separate and alien to what you already have in your collection. Um, we're definitely going with the theme, and our uh, primary art director, Daniel Solis, who is assisted by Thomas Dini, is doing a really great job of that. So we are trying to do that. Um, one book that is coming out soon um, as well on the schedule is it's called um, Echoes of War with a tentative subtitle. <laughs> um, all these little details. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Margaret, I think that email is waiting for you. Um, the, it's, it's, collecting the, <laughs> it's collecting the first four uh, Echoes of War adventures in print. And so you will get to see um, Margaret's Wedding Planner's adventure in at your local friendly game store, which is really nice. So mm. it has uh, wedding planners and shooting fish and my friends in low places and Freedom Flyer, which came out in December. So that'll be really nice. And that's a standalone book. You don't necessarily need the core book for that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that book because um, there's just a ton of information and setting in there mm-hmm. for people. And I'm, I'm really hoping they dig the episodes because it kind of takes some of the guesswork out of building and designing adventures for this so 
Ah. I have to say, it sounds like you have way too much fun at work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this has been my life for the last year, and it's been, like, the best job. I mean, like, I can just look at a piece of paper, and somebody could just write a whole bunch of Firefly stuff on it and be like, yep, 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 next. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I'm I'm very mm-hmm. grateful for this because it's been very rewarding, and Fox has been just amazing to work with. So. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine Gen that. Con. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Gen Con. Oh, boy. Gen Con coming this August. So we'll be there. Yep. So oh, awesome. Oh, we'll, we'll be there. We'll run into you yet again. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I, I, do, I have to agree. I think doing that, that pre-release that you guys kind of did, that Gen Con exclusive, was a great idea. Uh, not only did it build a lot of interest in it, but um, it's been lots of fun. And it's like, okay... You know, and there's you know suggestions have been sent in. So, uh, I mean that that was a pretty smart move. So it was one of the best uh, suggestions that you got after the pre-release that has helped uh, balance the game out more. I'm sorry, was that a question or a statement? I that could, was a question. Well, I made a statement and then he made a question. Okay, what was the question? <laughs> so of yep. the uh, of the comments the... that you've. I'm sorry. So, so of the comments that you've gotten uh, about the from the pre-release, what were some of the best ones that helped that you actually put into the game that helped balance it out more? Um, well, there there was quite a bit of feedback. Some of the feedback was about the art, and one of the one of the benefits that we had, um, Margaret helped direct some of the preferences on the art for the core book. Um, she did a really good job like picking artists. Um, we got some feedback about the archetype art. People were hoping for a more realistic style. And um, some of her choices for the artists end up turning out really awesome. Like, And everybody's been commenting on the original artwork that's been in the book. It's, that's, been a, that's been a very big benefit. Um, one thing that people commented on was the blue character sheet backgrounds for the main cast um, in the Gen Con exclusive, they said it was too hard to print. And what they didn't realize was that those characters were never meant to be printed because we thought people were just <laughs> going to translate the rules onto the character sheet, right? Like, we didn't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> whoops, we didn't know. Um, so we found out that people were printing them out and they asked for lighter backgrounds and we, we fulfilled that request and we got a bunch of thank yous from that because people wanted to have the picture of Mal on their sheet. That was that was something that was very important to them to be able to have those pictures. Um, another thing was people were asking for interactive character sheets, and that was something that was an enhancement that we did. We released those also as a set for free, so that people can go on Drive Through RPG and download the ship sheet and the character sheet, and they can fill it out like a form. So you don't even need to worry about like if you want if your handwriting sucks like mine sucks you can Same just type it on your computer, um, print it out and you're done. Um, that was that was a big enhancement. Some of the other enhancements that we made were, um, for example, in the episode guide, um, the Serenity pilot in the train job. I ended up doubling in size for the core book because. I wanted to balance them against the weight of some of the other analysis that we were doing. That was a big thing. 
Um, Rules-wise, we wanted to make sure that we had double what we had in the exclusive because we wanted people to feel like they were getting their money's worth. So we added somewhere between 60 to 75 new distinctions for the core book. Ooh. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, you know, I ca- the funny <laughs> thing is, is that, I mean, I just kept asking, I just kept asking, is this enough for the fans? Basically, mm-hmm. I mean, every time I kept adding something in, it was like, Margaret, is this enough? Team, is this enough? And they're like, it's enough. Stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got to a point where it was over page count. There was so much. <laughs> yeah, our original word count, and, and Margaret's probably going to cry because I don't think I've actually told her what the original word count is. So so please don't, <laughs> please don't cry, Margaret. But um, the, the original word count before we started cutting everything back was 325,000 words. Yeah. But it's always better to have too much. It really is. It's always better to have too much than not enough. Yeah. And they can use it later. You know. Yeah, exactly. It can always go into later material. So, so, and it just showed to me how really excited everybody was about their work and that they really enjoyed what they were doing and they were spending a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah, well, and 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 that's that's partly because we had the ability to discuss this game with fans ahead of time, which is very unusual for a licensed game. Um, that's pretty much what the exclusive allowed us to do, because we had a product that was out there, which was playable. Um, the rules were enhanced. They're not, you know, there's there's nothing. If you pick up the Gen Con exclusive and you look at what the core book is now, there's nothing in the in the game rules that were that was um, considered a beta, like all of the rules from the from the exclusive were translated over to the core book, and doing the product that way really allowed us to um, connect with people. And my team has just been thrilled getting feedback from you know because they just are like, wow, you really like these examples? Great, I'm going to do more of them. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> so. Nice. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead, jump in. So. You mentioned earlier that you wanted fans of Firefly and Serenity who had not necessarily had any role-playing experience before to be able to come to this and have a good time. So I'm just wondering what you did to make it that way so that it was easy for people who hadn't role-played before to jump in and have fun. I think um, um, episodes. I think putting in the episodes yeah. with with the examples and the rules was, was is probably the best it, because if you're a Firefly fan, you've seen the episodes, you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, you know, you can make it happen or not, uh, and, but you know, you know the player, you know, you know the characters, you know how they how they react, and so to me that was one way. Monica. Yeah, and Margaret's exactly <laughs> right about that. <laughs> That's that's by far been the most positive feedback that we've gotten, especially from new brown coats um, that are coming to role playing. Is is exactly what Margaret said. Um, the reason why is because they can watch that scene on the television, and they can put in their DVD and they can you know see it on Netflix or whatever, and they can kind of get a sense for how the action goes. But when it translates into the dice at the table. 
um, that was very important because we actually have like little dice examples of these are the dice that you keep, these are the dice that you don't, because the two biggest questions that, that new players have when they come to the table is what dice do I roll and what do I do at the table? Well, if they already know what the character is, that, that question is taken out of it. But the first part of it, what dice do I roll? We try to reinforce that with as many dice examples as possible. Uh, we have short examples, but then we also have extended examples. And the other thing that we tried to do was put the episode guide in context. So the explanations start very simple, and they get more complex as the series continues. So when you actually get to the last episode, you are building a character. You are building a character based off the archetypes, but when you first start out, it's like, hey, you want to throw a punch at this dude. How do you do that? <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, and then that's how you role play. So, so we try to keep it very streamlined, but not so overly simplistic that there's no dice attached to it. Cool. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, so, so kind of like, in a sense, since your characters really don't level up, more, of, uh, more along the lines, the story itself levels up as you become more comfortable with the mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep, it, and, and it was meant yeah. to be, it was meant to be li- written very linear that way. Now, another thing that we did, which was very important to us, and this came out of some conversations with Margaret as well early on, um, was to have a lot of GM support. Because as you know, <laughs> GMs are crucial to, to having a good game experience. And we have three chapters for them. Um, we decided to have a GM-facing version of the rules chapter. And then we have a GM advice chapter, which is really good for new GMs. And then the sample episode in the core book, for me, was a no-brainer. Um, But basically what we do is we walk through the rules and we say, hey, this is what this part of the episode is for, and this is what this part of the episode is for. Um, And we keep it very streamlined and friendly so that GMs kind of get a sense for, okay, this is how I might run this someday. You know, this is kind of what this section of, you know, this Firefly adventure is for. So, um, but the GM support for us is really important because in, in, especially in a game like this, you know, GMs make a world of difference between having a great game experience and a bad one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. Yes. So, I mean, um, one, one last question for me then is, are there any plans in the near future to, to um, include um, the movie license, or is that just going to be, like, off the table, we should not worry about it? Well, you know, we did the movie in Serenity, and um, so, you know, at this point, I think we just want to, you know, move ahead with Firefly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Serenity, it's still out there. <laughs> you can buy it and translate the rules. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So we should we should not be holding our breath for any kind of it's a supplement book. It's there. Book. So, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. Now we just get to fill in all the gaps between uh, the TV series and the movie. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Yep, and you know, it's like Tracy always said in Dragonlance, you know, some of that should be left to the imagination. That's yep. so true. Absolutely. So, so very, very do you true. have any, uh, so what are your future plans with uh, with Firefly uh, now that the core rule book is, uh, book is done? Are you going to think about, you know, adding uh, like expansions to it or other uh, continuums? 
Well, um, like I said, we have two supplements already on the schedule that are coming out and then a couple of things that are unannounced. Um, things Don't Go Smooth does expand upon the setting. Um, we we use the core book as a foundation, so any extrapolation that happens and Things Don't Go Smooth is really going to make sense. And um, the other thing that I did in particular, because I understand that Firefly is Whedon's baby, therefore it has to be my baby, um, is that uh, <laughs> is that I went through a lot of the, the show notes and the scripts from from the actual TV show. I mean, some of the previews, for example, were scripted out, but he ended up swapping it out with a different opener. Um, and I tried to be very faithful to whatever his vision was because I didn't want it... I didn't want somebody to look at something and be like, that's not Firefly. Um, so, so a lot of that was really important. Um, in, the, in the setting context, the setting context is a little bit easier in terms of like the actual locations because there's over 200 planets and moons in the verse and there's a lot of variety there. And one of the things that, that we really have the ability to do is pr present a lot of different ways to look at those locations and we're trying to do that um, more and that has been driven specifically by Margaret from wedding planners because she put a lot of setting into her adventure and that really set a high bar and fans really responded to that and they loved that. Um, her cruise liner, like she, how many levels did your cruise liner have anyway? Like I can't even remember. It was something like, it was I something think like were, six yeah, or were, seven. Yeah, I think so. Well, I matched it off the uh, the uh, Queen Elizabeth, the QE2, a real cruise liner. So I took a real cruise liner and then imagined what it would be like if it traveled in space and just translated that. Hmm. Oh, wow. So you're doing part of the game on a cruise liner. <laughs> That's in space. That yeah, is, in wedding oh, planners. Wow. Yeah. Having, <laughs> having done boardings on cruise ships, yeah, that is... That is a task and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and and she so so and this is a this is a true story, right? So, I'm I'm used to getting a little bit lower setting because we were focusing on the exclusive and and you know I was working with Andrew on shooting fish and all this sort of kind of stuff, and then I get Margaret's adventure and I'm looking at this thing and I'm like holy shit I'm like I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because she did such an awesome job with the setting that, that you know, like, I was like, oh, my God, it, it, it like, changed everything for me. I was like, oh, my God, we got to put more setting in this stuff. So, like, um, so, so my adventure, Friends in Little Places, uh, the reason why I have this expanded setting section and, and the reason why we, we've done that on everything else since is because of the work that Margaret did. Um, and... <laughs> that was one of those things where it was like, this is really awesome, and fans are responding to this. We need to do that. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yay. <laughs> and, you know, me, hey, but, it was my um, first adventure. But, you know, that, yeah. that that's what I thought I was supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that's the funny thing about it, too, is that this was her first adventure. Like, seriously, like, like you would think that Margaret Weiss, <laughs> the Margaret Weiss, <laughs> would have done a role-playing game adventure before, but no. No, she's done with it. She hands it in to me, and then she tells me it was her first adventure. I'm like, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just a rough draft. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and but um, 
but the the setting in there is absolutely brilliant and and i I really love um, she had a lot of attention to detail, so we try to bring that through with everything now because it's it's important for the fans to visualize the verse, and when you have two hundred planets and moons, sometimes it's really hard because some of them suffer from the Star Wars problem where I'm going to create an ice planet and everybody on this planet mm-hmm. will be full of snow. And then, you know, there's, there's nothing else there. And we're really trying to diversify a little bit and to kind of show like different things because um, like Higgins moon is a really good example of this from Firefly. You've got this magistrate with a very large ego who has this very expensive, um, you know, these, incalculable, uh, priceless plants and water and all this other kinds of, in this hacienda. And then over on this other side, you have these poor slogs who are digging up mud <laughs> to make ceramics. And, you know, they don't even have air conditioning. I mean, it, it's like just this awful, awful place. Um, but that's only one podunk moon. You know, we have an entire, like, I mean, there's like, 12 planets and 24 moons for almost every section in the verse except for the blue sun system that's the smallest one and there's just so many so much room to explore like londinium the capital planet just crazy crazy amount of settings so we are we are definitely doing our best to expand um that in particular um that said with firefly being a character driven game you know, our emphasis is obviously on creating good characters because without good characters, the whole thing could fall apart. I mean, if it's, it could be a really, really pretty um, building that you're in. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about something I'm working on now, a museum. Beautiful museum, but if you don't have characters to pull it all together, then, you know, you're just kind of walking through and, oh, look, nice exhibit. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that I thought, you know, I thought I knew a fair portion of uh, Firefly, but wow, no, <laughs> I don't know that much now. <laughs> well, I got a, I got a little nutty. I mean, you know, that that was the big question. It was like, you know, I was excited to get this job. I was excited to work with Margaret. I mean, my gosh, I mean, you know, this is this is so much fun. And then, you know, I got my hands on the scripts, and I was like. Holy biscuits. You mean they have the names that they had when they went to the aerial hospital, the fake ident cards? I want to put those names in the in the book, and I could do that, you know, because I had that stuff available there. Um, so I just jammed as much as I possibly could. All right. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go back to the, you're having way too much fun in your job statement. <laughs> I wish I did this all day. Wow. So, yeah, well, Firefly is awesome. Yeah. So I I know the core rulebook is available in PDF on digi- uh, drive through. Mm-hmm. When is the actual you know physical copy of the rulebook going to be available? Well, hopefully soon. Where we've got a lot of logistics and stuff to do. Just you know, talking, getting all the ducks in the row, all the distributors, all the. Um, everybody trying to decide how many to print and you know so we're doing we're doing our our due diligence on that um print run these print runs these days are really expensive and so we don't we don't want to we want to we want to hit it just just about right as close as we can yeah. because you know it, you know you want to sell out that's great um uh, but you don't want to 
you know, sell out within an hour after it hits the stores. <laughs> True. So you want to, you've got to balance all that. So that's what we're working on right now. It's just, it's all ready to go. It's just getting uh, all the all the nuts and bolts put together. All right. I have mine pre-ordered, so I don't care. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> mine's showing up. <laughs> Everyone else can go hunt for it. Yes. So other than uh, Gen Con, are you planning on uh, attending any other conventions to uh, promote this uh, the the new game? Well, our our staff does go to quite a few conventions. Um, we have a we have a staff of about uh, we have some core freelancers, and then we have some peripheral. Uh, folks so we've got maybe like somewhere between i want to say maybe about 20 people that are like running games at different conventions they tend to be um in their area and our team is scattered all across the country um i know that um mark has run uh firefly at metatopia and he's also run it at uh quite a few other shows as well um for us for uh, Margaret Weiss Productions' presence to have the game available for sale and to also interact with fans and make sure that um, folks like Margaret sign the book and all that. Um, Gen Con is really our big show, and it's it's the most valuable. Um, that's where most of my efforts are going into planning the the game demo side of the logistics. To uh, we have 20 scheduled this year. Ooh, yeah. wow. That's a, it's a busy schedule then. Well, all well, right. Yeah, and we're, I'm very we'll grateful. also be doing, yeah, we'll be doing like mini demos at the booth too. So, you know, if you don't, and last, well, I last year, Monty, for the demos sold out what? Like the first day or something? Yeah, last year the events were fine. sold out the first time. Um, we, uh, so, so last year what happened was we had, we had some groups sign up for, you know, like a couple of games a couple of times because they were really excited about the, the game. So we decided <laughs> to expand our schedule to 20 games to accommodate different types of people. Um, but we also split our demos for Gen Con in particular between beginner and advanced because we figured that new players might, you know, we can teach them the rules. But if anybody already knows the rules, then basically that's a different game experience. So we're trying to we're trying to basically satisfy both people. Oh, okay. Um, people that don't know the rules and then people that already do. So for the people that don't know the rules, they're going to be playing Margaret's Wedding Planners, which I'm really excited about because I think it's a great introductory adventure and there's there's quite a bit of like subplot and the game never is run the same way twice. I mean, because there's more than you need in that adventure. And then for advanced characters, we're going to be um, having them roll up their own characters at the table. And they're going to be playing the core book adventure. Yep. So, um, and that'll be a little bit different. Yeah, that'll be a little different experience for them. But uh, we definitely made a strategic decision to ensure that um, something by Margaret was available um, because Margaret um, is also doing work elsewhere on the line, again, for an unannounced project, which I can't really talk about right now, but we will soon. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Let's just say it involves Jane. There you go. Um, okay. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's oh, a yeah. spoiler. <laughs> and, uh, but for us, we, 
we just kind of wanted the ability to give, you know, an experience to both. And then we expected that there was going to be some people running the game at Games on Demand um, as well. So this kind of gives us a little bit of, you know, variety. Um, and, yeah, 20. Well, all right. I, I, I am excited. I know what we're going to be doing for a few minutes at Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to do this at Gen Con. I wish we had more time to talk to you, but sadly, it, it's getting to be about that time. It is. Yep. So, uh, yeah. thank, yep, you, really uh, thank you so much. Thank you uh, very much, Margaret. Thank you very much, Monica. We hope to look forward to many, many more uh, episodes in the verse and then some from both of you. And if you want this, go run over to uh, Drive Thru and pick a copy up now. Yes. You won't regret it. Yep, Get your absolutely. copy now. <laughs> because, yeah, well, it, thank it's, you for having awesome. us. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being yeah. on again. Thank you so much, Monica. Oh. Thank you, Margaret, for being on. So uh, have a good night. Okay. Everyone, look for Firefly, the RPG. Uh, now. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. You're have, welcome. A thank you. have a good night. Thank you. Bye. 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 All right. So that's Margaret Weiss and Monica Valentinelli. Yes. From Marco Weiss Productions, everyone. Oh, my gosh. Woo! Firefly the I'm game. Kinda, excited. Kinda, kinda... Whoop, whoop, whoop. There yeah, you go. I'm trying to do the whole studio audience thing, and I can't do it. I'm one guy. I only have one. That's true. So should I put in, like, sound effects for a studio audience? Yeah, we should yeah. do that. Like, yeah. Saved by the Bell. We got yeah. the Just like Saved by the Bell. Yeah. I could... Did you guys call me back? Nope. No, no, what? Oh. what? Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> have a good one. <laughs> I was like, why is my Skype calling? I okay. have no clue. <laughs> I, you know what? It's a ghost. It, it, yeah, well, it's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. okay. Bye. Thanks again. Night. Bye. All right. So we'll come back. For the that was the awesome. Show. <laughs> you guys call me back? No. So the next, next half of the show, we're going to have uh, Craig McCormick talking about yes. his new book, The Shadow Masters. Yes. Shadow Master. So we will play a couple songs. We'll be back, and then we got to engage the TARDIS to talk to the future. Yes, and this first, this second half of the uh, the second interview is going to be brought to you by Audible.com. Do you want a free audiobook? I know I do. So if you go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio, or even easier, just click on the Audible link on uh, on our website, Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Sign up, and you get a free audiobook. It's not a collection of like books that came out. It is literally thousands. It's professionally read to you by actors and voice actors, and yeah, get a free audiobook. Sorry, the guy that does the voice of Barney will not be reading your book tonight. No. So there will be no, I love you, you love me. Unless you get one of those books that's like, I love you, you love me, actually read by the the guy. What about Vern Schroyer? You getting Vern Schroyer in there at all? Who knows, maybe. There might be. You can actually look up. A, you can actually look up books by uh, by who by yeah, uh, voice reader. actors. Yeah, by voice actors. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right, so we'll play a couple songs. We'll return with more amazing show because yeah, I, I still like our tag Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Like the zombie plague, only better. Hi, this is Ed Greenwood. You're listening to Dungeon Crawls Radio, and crawl, baby, crawl. When you were just a young girl still in
card. It's only $15 and it comes with a free magazine subscription. I totally want that. She was nice to me. She's my final fantasy. She's the girl. She's the girl at the video game. Welcome, and we're back. We back. You, you got a you got a lot more things to turn up there, buddy. I know. I got like all these different <laughs> buttons now. It's yeah. crazy. Robo Destructicon. Bertha. <laughs> it's not Bertha. I will never, never call it Robo, whatever the crap that is, because that is never. a That's stupid fine. name. Never. Scoot over. It'll be Bertha. Join the rest of the crew. 
So, um, wow, ten. So we should probably. Uh, yeah, we should probably get started with uh, interview interview numero. I know this is just crazy. Or, um, I, or, or I guess it would be uh, numero number two, as they would say in Australia. Yep. Or not numero. They'd say number two. Yeah. Uh, actually, it would be number two. Number two. Uh, I, I, I've hey, never really been no, good no, with that. Uh, don't, 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 don't make fun of that. Yeah, I've never been good with the Australian accent, and I would not want to do it okay. justice. Because it's so. such a cool country. Yep. So uh, we're going to add Craig to the uh, our call here. Uh, and we're going to be talking about his new book, The uh, Shadow Master. So there Hello, he is. Greg. Hold on. Sinking. Buffering. Uh, connecting. Adding to our, our, our little call. Oh, ooh, look at him. He's filling it. I know. OP gets his... Uh, gets, uh, Forget this. I'm the operator. I get my own mic stand. The operator. So so did so did you just, like, suck Ben into it, the Matrix Vortex? Is that what this is? <laughs> then he's like, I'm not going to the Matrix. Oh. Hello. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Very good, thank you. Great, thanks for coming on the show. That's all right. So, all right, well, well let's jump right into your to your new book, The Shadow Master. Here, can you give our listeners perhaps a quick primer about The Shadow Master? Yes, indeed. Okay, you give me ten seconds to close my door so the sound doesn't carry out everywhere. No problem. Here we go. All right, all good. Okay, The Shadow Master. It's a kick-ass tale set in medieval Florence. Involves magic and involves sword fights and assassins and involves love interests between two warring houses and involves plague people and involves alternative history. Everything except a car chase. (laughs) I am sold. Amazing. So I'm kind of curious then, were you just not able to fit in a car chase or did you have... Well, it's kind of set in... Ancient times, there's no car. I was, in t- I was very tempted to have a, um, a, um, a carry booth chase, one of those with the guys. I was very tempted at one point to put it in, put it in their little, their little carry sedan, and uh, have a car. And I thought, no, it's just getting it for you at that point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, then how, how did you decide on Florence as the setting? Well, I was actually, I, I worked as a science communicator and I was very lucky that I was at a conference in Florence two years ago and um, it hadn't struck me, you know, Florence is a, is a really interesting the medieval, it's a walled town that was the heart of the Renaissance in many ways and I was actually in the Galileo Museum and I was walking around looking at all these wonderful things Galileo invented, these cogs and things and the thought struck me, you know, I wonder at the time how many people thought this was magic being able to look through a telescope and see something far away and being able to and look at Da Vinci's designs for the, you know, the, the flying harm. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, what if we did make the magic? What if, when you look through the telescope, you actually transported across to that place you were looking at? And what if you put on the harness, you actually became a flying serpent, a flying beast or things? And that's what it all sprang from. And then I went back and thought, I could do this, you know, I could recreate the Renaissance... That's an alternative history where science was magic. I like that. Yeah, so, I mean, how, how was it then kind of stretching, I guess, the reality of the science that was going on at the time? Because during the, uh, during the time of like, Da Vinci stuff, it was 
barely a thing. I mean, how, I mean, how, how did you stretch that out in terms of telling a story? Well, it, it actually, the question is in having a scaffold for a story. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was looking around a lot of um, Italian uh, literature at the time. I came across a story called The Betrothed. Uh, um, and it's very, very little known in English, but it, it, it has a, a two warring houses. It has a male protagonist and a female protagonist who fall in love and they can't get together. And it has the plague happening around Florence. I thought, that's a great scaffold. So I used that as the basic scaffold for the story. Um, so I have a, a reference back to a, a real Italian um, piece of literature to play on. Um, throw some references into Dante's Inferno and um, with that was able to then put it across. Because the, the challenge often is with speculative fiction, just having a great idea or a concept isn't enough. Unless you have a really great story through which to mingle it, it tends to fall flat. Mm-hmm. So then, um, how, how were you, um, how was it then coming up with like the the action pieces? Because you're, I mean, you described it as as, as as exactly like if I can get the words out, exactly as kick ass and things like sword fighting. I mean, how, how did you come up with that? Well, that that again was pretty easy um, be, be, because I wanted a story that had had had, had action and had flow and had you know, conflict and so on. So I, I was able to bring in this this mysterious character, the Shadow Master. So you, you never really find out who he is and what he is, and and but it's clear he's he's interfering with the flow of events and he's he's masterminding them and turning them in the directions he wants them to go. He's engineering the plot, and of course, therefore, in the time and the era, everybody's walking around with a sword. You've got to have a good sword fight, and good assassins, and good stabbings, and poisons, and smoke, and all those things that give that give feel character to the story. Oh, All right. Yeah. So then, I mean, what what sorts of things then served as uh, as I guess a basis of uh, of comparison? Were you looking at like action movies, or did you uh, model after another uh, um, another writer? I didn't actually. Um, see, my, my background is largely in literary fiction, and mm-hmm. when I crossed, you say I've crossed over from the dark side. I, I tell friends, and <laughs> I've been writing things in spec fiction for a couple of years. Um, and the, the question is then, people people do in the spec fiction realm get very driven by by subgenre, and they ask, oh hang on, so is that clock steampunk with a dash of traditional sci-fi slash with a you know standard modification? And I go, well, well, no, no, I'm just going to tell you a kick-ass good story, and then you can sit down afterwards and you can categorise it. I'm not going to get caught into those up front because it does get in the way of the writing if you try and work very hard and think what genre you're in it can, it can limit you the same if you look too much I think at other other works in the same area um, they can get in the way of what you're trying to do because you're either trying too hard not to be derivative or you're trying too hard to copy the best bits of others it can get in the way so um, you know, I'm not a newcomer to the business and I think I have a good feel for how to write a good action story mm-hmm. but I didn't need to go looking for influences and sources to do that all right. So then, I mean, how um, when you're conferring with other writers and stuff, because I presume that you also hit like conventions and stuff like that. I mean, what sorts of things do you pick up um, uh, from from the others? Yeah, the, thing, the things I, I like to to pick up, and I, and I do enjoy going to conferences and meeting other writers and readers. Um, I, I look for the things that spark. Um, if, if you sat down, and looked at the you know the breadth of books that get published each year. Um, and there's absolutely no shortage of books out there to choose and read. But when people say, this one stood out, the first question I ask is, why did that stand out? 
All right, folks. Sorry about Sorry. that. Yeah, wow. Lagoon went so to plug a, something well, in, we just, created a gigantic we, feedback of doom. Yeah, we suddenly had uh, a uh, feedback loop or something like that, and it just blipped everything out there for a moment, so we are so sorry. I am. what happens when I try to do something helpful. Well, are you there? We're back again. Yeah, sorry. We are, about we are that. so we, sorry, yeah. We, we had a surge, and we had a feedback loop, and it just blipped everything out there for a few months. We are so yeah. sorry, Craig. That's all right. All right, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry Take it over. That. Okay. I'll have to do this experiment later when we're not actually live on air. <laughs> on the air. <laughs> uh, so then, um, to get back to uh, your, your new book, The Shadow Master, you were talking about how you know, this isn't your first foray into, uh, into writing. So then, I mean, how, um, what sort of other works then influenced you up to this point? Okay, a lot of my work is historical fiction. Yeah. And so I you know, really love to dive into the, the history, um, find, but then I love to play with it as well. So I really love the idea of alternative histories, um, and especially fiction is being able to look at the past and say, what if, you know, what, what if we'd branched this way, and what if we'd gone that way? And so I've published about uh, 20 books at the moment, um, a mix of fiction and non-fiction, adults and children's books. But when I say adults' books, you know what I mean, books for adults, not adults' books. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it's a. I, I really enjoy the following the history and looking at alternative paths that can take you along. So then, um, are there any particular moments in history other than um, other than like the maybe like the Renaissance? Are there other moments in his, world history that really uh, really float your boat? World War One really floats my boat in a way, really? and it, it's, a, it's an interesting point in history because. It, it's often said that um, different to World War One to World War Two is that we, we never had um, cinematography really. It was just on the cusp of the 20th century. Um, it changed the way we thought about war. It changed the way we thought about everything because we were trying to fight a, a 20th century war using 19th century thinking. It was just impossible. By World War Two, we were thinking. Um, you know, 20, 20th century ways of, of fighting, and it, it became a, a real, a definitive point of the of the new era. Um, almost all our memories of World War One are black and white. Um, all our thinkings of World War One uh, are governed by what we don't see. The few the few amount of films and footage we do have, we tend to think of you know the modern era. It's always it's been filmed. Um, if there was no footage of it, it didn't ever happen. Um, but World War One's not that way, and it's just this, this starting to see change, and so I think it's a really interesting time. So, the, um, then are there plans then? Are you going to be linking perhaps like a sequel to to the Shadow Master into um, another era of history, or is this going to be just a simply a standalone story? Well, my, no, it's not a standalone story. I'm okay. just about finishing the sequel at the moment, which is set in a, a Venice-type city, a floating city. This one, it's a city that's not more; it floats around. And the Shadow Master reappears. So I was keen to actually have the Shadow Master reappear in World War One, but the publishers want to keep it in the um, Renaissance area. So I might do something else with a similar character in a, in a World War One. But I've, I've um, looked at a, a real life story, a real bizarre story set in Australia um, during World War One, where there was an internment camp for German civilians, mm-hmm. and in an old stone prison built on the end of a headland, and the German prisoners recreated a bit of um, Germanic fantasy there. So they, they built um, little cottages around the, the walls of the, the prison. So it was, like, it was like a, considered like a Gothic castle uh, on the end of a headland. 
and they put on a lot of stage productions and plays because they're all highly educated people who've been interned. And they dress up as women and take photographs and they dress up as traditional and they paint alpine scenes behind them and they paint, you know, traditional um, Germanic plays. So I've overlaid that with um, the, the Grimm's Brothers stories and, of course, the whole thing about wolves. And there was a, a boat at the time cruising around the Pacific India, Indian Ocean sinking merchantmen called the Wolf. And they captured some of the men of the Wolf and put them into prison. So suddenly you had civilians mixed with soldiers and they had a very different way of looking at, at each another. You know, the decadence of the civilians versus the, the war imperialism of the soldiers and, and this wolf theme, theme coming through. I'm, I'm going to play with that somewhere, maybe venturing into werewolfism, uh, a murder story hit in the prison, but, but that's what I'm really excited about. Mm, mm, excuse me. Okay, so um, then after, um, I guess then after, I say I don't recall, you you didn't say what the the, the sequel the next book is going to be called? Uh, probably The Floating City. The Floating City, um, okay. Master and the Floating City. And okay. what, what I'm, I'm, I'm doing something really interesting with this one in that I've looked back to the original Italian stories that Shakespeare modified to get um, Othello, Romeo and Juliet, and The Merchant of Venice. And so, so the proto stories, if you want to look at them. And I'm building those into the story. Um, which is just an extra element I like to play with, um, how do you use documents from the past in, in the retelling of the story. And, and it's really quite bizarre the ways that the original stories that Shakespeare adapted them. Um, so, you know, in, in Othello, the Moor, it's you know, an extremely complex story. But the proto-story, um, Othello doesn't kill Desdemona. His, um, his, his evil henchman does it all for him. Um, and Othello is riven by doubt rather than riven by anger. Um, the Romeo and Juliet equivalent, um, very close to Shakespeare's, um, but I guess more stereotyped, less, less depth in it. And, and the Merchant of Venice story is, is quite different to Shakespeare's. Um, you've got the idea of you know, selling the pound of flesh and so on, but it's not, it's not based on the, the concept of the three chests, which readers might be familiar with, the bronze, the silver and the gold. It's based on a, a woman from a nearby island, and she has this deal that if a ship pulls into port, if they can bed her for the night, they can inherit kingdom. If they can't bed her, she gets to take their ship and all their gold and treasures. And so the, the ways that differ are really interesting to look back and see, now well, what's Shakespeare done with this, and why did he take in that direction, and I'm going in another direction. Hmm, okay, so again, going to the whole uh, alternate history uh, yeah. method. So then, um, after um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm like choking up here. <laughs> so then, um, um, with with your, I guess your extensive background, your extensive research into, I guess, actual history. Then, I mean, has there been any um, as, uh, um, aspects that you're going to be keeping, I guess, true to form with with, uh, with actual history, or is this going to be completely um, off? You know, like we don't know what really happened, but here's the real story that you're going to give us. I like to keep it relatively close to real history okay. um, and, and then take it away in strange ways in, in, in the same way that I think that that's, what, that's when reality catches by surprise. If, if you take an alternative world that's pure fantasy, the challenge is to create a fantasy realm that works in itself, is consistent with itself, and the reader comes along with the journey. Okay. So when you give them a world that on all appearance looks familiar, 
and they, they fall in then to the stereotypes of, yeah, 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 I know how this works, now it does. And then you move just a few little things differently, that challenges them. That really challenges them and makes them think, well, hang on, I'm on familiar ground here, and then you pull the carpet from under my feet again. Oh, okay. So then what's been the biggest challenge so far then coming up with the, the alternate history? I guess is not falling into the trap of working so much within the real realms of history that when you put an alternative path in there, it feels wrong mm-hmm. and clang. So it's all got to work within itself. And if, if I'm laying down a path that for many people is a familiar path, one they feel familiar with, when I pull them off that path, it can't be such a jar that they're not willing to take the step. Okay. So then, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. You go. I have a question. Is I, I, yeah, yeah, your mic. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Now we go. Yeah. Um, okay. I was just wondering, how do you go about preparing yourself, uh, like, research-wise for this type of thing? What, what do you do? Where do you go to look up the history? Or do you just know it? Are you super genius? Or do you get primary resources? Or? Um, it's a really, really good question because a lot of people who write historical fiction or spec fiction, the, the challenge is when is enough research enough research and when does stop you from actually writing because I've, I've got a, a colleague and, and she writes historical fiction but it reaches the point she feels there's always something else she needs to know to make it genuine mm-hmm. and it's ever to start the book because you, you can spend your life researching a topic and always feel there's something else to know and you have to at some point stop and say that's probably enough I can now write the story and, and for me that point of enough is do I feel I have enough information to make what I'm creating feel genuine. Okay. And I know there's going to be more things I haven't learned. I know there's going to be others. But at some point, I have to stop researching and start the writing. Cool. That's great. Yeah. So then, uh, so the data collection process. Then I, I mean, when does it stop being, I guess, work um, for for your next book? And this crosses the crosses the line into just like pure hobby, and you're just like, oh man, this is great. When, when you stop enjoying it, you know, one is when you stop enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I know other people who've... Um, and I was researching a book. It took me about 10 years um, of researching. It was set on, uh, was this, this guy from Finland in 1901. He came to Australia, set up a socialist utopian colony. It failed. Then he moved over to North America. He set another one up in the, the Channel Islands off the coast of um, Western Canada, near British Columbia. And there was so little data on him, and I was just, now and again, I'd find an archive and I'd find another bit. So I wasn't researching full-time, but collecting, 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 little bits over time, like a bowerbird. And, and I realised at some point, if I didn't stop and write, you know, I would never do I would never would. It would just be a, collection, a process of collection. And so you have to determine there, are you in love with the collecting, or are you collecting for a purpose, an end outcome? And you have to make a decision at some point. Ah, okay. So, uh, you know, creating this alternate uh, history, how far into uh, or towards the present do you want to actually take, would you want to take this world? I mean, would you want to write a, you know, World War One in this particular history where, you know, science or magic is science, basically? Um, very, very happily. Um, and, and I think much beyond World War One, it strains the credibility of being able to do that. Um, and, and I don't know why that's, whether that's intuitive or whether that's analytical, 
But I know if I try and project that into a World War II, for instance, where magic and science were on, it doesn't just seem to work. It doesn't seem to have the same, yeah, that could happen. I think um, it's because of that whole we figured out how to make a, uh, a real-life fireball that could yeah. take out an entire city. It could be, and that was almost beyond the imagination at the time, wasn't it? And so yeah, that it was. Yeah. That it'd be kind of hard to do a uh, to do a modern uh, take on magic now because it's like, oh, you got the telekinesis app too, so did I. <laughs> right, right. In so many ways, science has, has way overtaken the capacity. And, and, and you know, and, and steampunk's an interesting variation where you look at it and say, what what would happen if we went down a, a technology route that was driven by coal and steam? rather than by electricity and rather than by others and others, and, and how would that impact on all these other things in life. Um, yeah, and I think we reach about World War One and after, and, and the ability to sustain that creation stops, starts falling apart a bit more. Hmm, okay, so then um, when, um, I guess what I'm, what I'm understanding then is, our, I guess our... our modern perception of science or just how far science has come along we it sort of killed our capacity to believe in magic is that i i guess there, there are two streams of thought there one is that um were science and magic always the same thing mm-hmm. if you look back to the middle middle ages what people were were producing as magic was such a science by another guise or has yes has um being able to unpick the mystery of things and explain almost everything in life diminished our capacity to believe in the wonderment of magic. And I think a little bit of both is the answer, really. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess and it's still important, though, that we still stand in awe of science because, as uh, Flagoon just pointed out, too, science has brought us some pretty fantastic things, not all of it necessarily good, but I guess if we can't stand in awe of that, then we've lost all sense of, of wonder, yeah, and I, and I think that's also why a lot of people are afraid of new technologies. Um, it's not because of the new technology itself, but you know, but what it represents. So the ability to have genetic testing and gene therapies to 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 alter what our children might be or might become, mm-hmm. um, to actually tinker with the building blocks of life, as it were, while some embrace that and say that's that's our, that's our human heritage to create better. Others, it it, it unsettles their worldview. And it shakes them a bit, and so they become very cautious of new technologies for that exact reason. Yeah. So then, um, do you feel that perhaps writing in the speculative fiction and alternate histories and stuff like that, do you think that sort of softens the blow of of um, of, of such world worldview shaking um, revelations? I'd like to think so, but 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 I worry also that it may actually reinforce them. So in, in my work as a science communicator. A lot of my work is based around that exact thing, trying to understand what drives people's attitudes towards scientific inventions. Um, one of the, the summaries I call it is why clever people believe stupid things when people have fears about vaccination and fears about GMOs and fears about other things, looking at the actual um, values and mindsets that drive those attitudes. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that you tend to be pre-programmed um, with an existing set of values in life that are formed by your growing up and children or childhood and your parents and so on, and, that, and that's fairly formative. They change a little bit over life, but they're, they're largely, largely set. And those values will determine extremely strongly what your attitude to new technologies are, what your attitude to nature is, what your attitude towards relationships, etc., etc. And we can map backwards and see if you're a climate change agreer or climate change denier, 
We know it's your values that drive it, not your thoughts on the science. The same with nanotechnology, genetically modified organisms, stem cells, etc., etc. We can chart back and look at your world views and say that will determine your attitudes before you've even thought about it. Wow. Wow, that is actually really informative. Um, so before we got to wrap up for the show, because we're almost out of, we're going to be running out of time here real fast. Um, Craig, where are you going to be appearing next? Are you going to be doing any book signings, signings or appearing at any conventions in the near future? I am. I'm coming over to Minneapolis in July. Really? Um, okay. Conference. Mm-hmm. In the first weekend of uh, July, I've never been to Minneapolis before. Um, and yeah, I'll be attending the Convergence event, giving a couple of talks and doing a couple of book gigs. Great. And when, do, when does the book release officially, The Shadow Master? Isn't it June 15th? About, yeah, late June. Okay. All right. And when, uh, where, can, uh, where can listeners find a copy of your new book, Shadow Master? Go to angryrobotbooks.com. And then just look you up, just say Craig Cormick, and then boom, there you go. Make comment, look up Shadowmaster, go to Amazon, go to Google, go to any of those places. It's it's um it's appearing out there in lots of sellers. It's published by Angry Robots, uh, the publisher. But yeah, just Google Craig Cormick or Google the Shadowmaster. You'll, awesome. You'll find the book, or you'll probably find like an NSA backdoor website. Or the Shadow Master will appear. <laughs> or the Shadow Master will appear and take your soul. Yes. Which I hear he's ginger. Hey! <laughs> Just because I'm a ginger doesn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, Craig. Well, um, one last thing then. Um, is there, um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, heap on praise, I don't know, give you money, because, I mean, you write the book, you should get money for it. Where can they find you? I've got a website, um, www.craigcormick, C-O-R-M-I-C-K, not A-C-K, dot com. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on with us tonight, Craig. Thanks for that, everyone. I really enjoyed that. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much for being on. And the next, when your next book comes out, feel free to come back on. We'll have oh, you yeah, back on the show. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on. Love to. All right. All right. Thank you again for being on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. All, All right, right, ladies and gentlemen. Author, historian, and kind man of man from the future. Yeah, from the future, future. time traveler. Future. Apparently, I love that kick, accent. Kick-ass story writer. Oh, yeah. Craig Cormick, everyone. Yes, that was one of my idea. favorite things being in Australia. Was actually just listening to the Australians talk. I could just sit there and listen. I didn't have to ask questions. Just listening to him talk, it would have been. Aw- it was awesome. Yeah, the, so, and, and the I love smart too. Oh, he was. Craig is absolutely very, intelligent. very I, intelligent I, guy. I can't wait to have him back on. I can't I wait to read his book. Yes. I know this book needs to come out. Like, yeah. You can pre-order now. it July right now. 3rd. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if I could get an art, a story art copy. So for, for all of you and then you can read and do a review. Future hey, and have to. access to time uh, devices, mail us a copy and have it come to the, uh, to come to the, 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 the store right now. Wouldn't that Doesn't be work. so awesome? Yeah. Now. I that would have been funny. I've had this book since 1847. What? I was oh, told oh, to bring it in. here. Oh, I don't know why, oh, but is there oh, a flagoon oh. here? <laughs> 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 we kind of had a bet he wouldn't be here. <laughs> hmm, I wonder where that movie's from. <laughs> and, and it looks just like that actor from yeah, Back to the Future 2. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you guys seen the previews for the Million Ways to Die in the West? Yes. I, yes. Have you seen the theater preview that has Doc Brown in it? No. No. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, don't tell me about it though, because spoilers. Okay, right. Yeah. That's okay. We'll get to meet him in September. Joffrey dies. Yeah. So cool. It's gonna be amazing. Legit. Doc Brown and Bruce Campbell. So I just had I had one thing that I wanted to share with Go you. Go ahead. Absolutely. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but Andrew Cook showed it to me. The Pentagon has plans for zombie apocalypse. They have actual plans in place. For this says um, undead chickens, <laughs> space invaders, and vegetarians. Awesome. Oh, what? Oh, I just, well, they really have a plan article. to there's, fight vegetarians. Well, there's been several news articles out that they're planning on building a robot army too. Whether that's true or not, but can I just suggest they watch iRobot first? We have yeah. a robot can army. They're called. Mm-hmm. Well, I know they're drones. Yeah, but no, they're actually humanoid robot army. That they can start sending in. Okay. So. Ex- this makes me think. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so yeah. Watch Battlestar Galactica. Uh, watch iRobot. I mean, there's plenty of source material to find out what. Oh, Terminator. To find out what's going to happen. Yeah. This, yeah. This never ends. Uh, it ends in tears and sequels. Yeah. I mean, even if. And partials. Bale yelling at the lighting or the sound guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I guess well uh, to I guess expand on that though because we were um, I was reading on the BBC not uh, a couple either yesterday or or this morning um, there is a conference um, held I believe in I think it was in France um, about literally killer robots and why we shouldn't should or shouldn't have them. But I, I don't know if we were t- if that's the same thing you were probably reading. No, this is something separate. Oh, okay. But well, um, you know, complete and total violation so, of three rules of robotics. So if we so if we want to go to killer robots, you know, great example. Watch Transformers. Even if it is Michael Bay, come on, Decepticons, they're out to destroy you. And they're good at it. Yeah, but they could make Autobots. Autobots are good. Come and protect us, rescue bots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow! We can make them all child friendly. Can I can I say one thing? I'm a huge Transformer nut, but I refuse to watch that. It is so cute. No, it is not. It is. is, Three year old loves it. Well, that your three year old can can love it. That's okay, but no. (laughs) Yeah, actually, kind of funny, Revan. You should give it a shot. Nope. I could turn up the gig here and just kind of point out that. According to Isaac Asimov and his three laws, yeah. they're mathematically infused into the positronic brain that allows robots to run, and I don't think we're there yet. So if we are going to try and put some kind of three laws thing in there, it's far too complex. It's not going to work because it's going to be like Windows. <laughs> it, they're going to probably throw so, in Windows Vista in there, and yeah, yeah we're yeah. screwed. No, so they're going to put Windows, Windows XP. They're going to put Windows XP in there because it's not supported. That's yeah. yeah. It would be run by Windows will take over So pretty much, you know, the Pentagon's going to be out there calling up Microsoft. Hey, excuse me, we're having some uh, some problems. The robots have turned on our troops and they're killing everyone over there. Did you update um, to the newest IP? Did you upgrade to the new <laughs> operating system? Because, sorry, we don't, we, don't, we don't support Windows XP. Well, that's the only operating system you gave us. Oh, well, that's a 4.8 trillion dollar upgrade? Uh, <laughs> Taxpayer 
their dollars. Boom, they'll do, go. Yeah, they'll do I'll it. I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't even, yeah, there wouldn't be that much hesitation. They'd yeah. be like, done. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We'll yeah. However, I did find out something really cool yesterday. Having why, been a part of why I was, government spending, it's not that easy. Why I but was okay. sur- trying to survive the gummy, the sugar-free gummy bear cleanse. <laughs> um, Abu's, the guy that does the voice of Abu is actually Frank Welker, the guy, same guy that does Megatron. Whoa. Wait, huh? Yeah, the guy that does Abu's voice is the same from guy Aladdin. that does Wait. Megatron. Wait, Abu, as in we're talking the little monkey from Aladdin? Yep. Oh, my God. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. That's Megatron? That is Megatron. Okay. It was an upgrade. He upgraded from XP to Vista. Kind of like the uh, the voice of uh, of Mario is also the voice of like the, the good dragon in Skyrim. Yep. Phalanx or Phalaranx. Yeah. Um, Parthenax. Parthenax. Oh, yeah. Right. But there's the two A's in there, so I don't know if it's like Parthenax or Parthenax. Oh. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But it would have been awesome if he like he landed one. It's a me. Oh come on. <laughs> no. 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 I was looking through the actual book version of Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. and I was trying to find that part where he says. It's a me, Mario, your uncle, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, it's like, not in the, the end book. of the chapter. Yeah, it's not in the book at all. So it's purely I'm not an surprised. Easter egg. Purely yeah. video game Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> for I'm the disappointed. Best. I'm not going to buy the book. All right. Well, we got a few minutes left. <laughs> we do have two gamer forges. All right, let's try to bang one out. All right. Okay, thinking caps on. Tink, 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 tink. So Ryan oh, writes in. Ryan, welcome to the gamer forge. Ryan. Can my wizard conjure a bedroll so that I don't have to carry my sleeping mat? Is there a spell I can use to create a bedroll each night? A magic item would be suitable as well. The spell should be probably level one or two. <laughs> um, I guess you could create one. It, it really depends on how long it would be able to be conjured. Like, if it is a oh, level yeah, one spell, it would be like one level you have a bedroll for an hour. I don't know. I mean, if it's, oh, yeah. if it's something or, that would Or a really long cooldown. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Which, you don't really need yeah. a bedroll that often. <laughs> I mean, I know, but that would work out really well. At yeah. least 12 hours? Yeah, yeah, your level determines the comfort. Because you get the bedroll oh, for yeah. eight hours. Or rested. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you get to level 10, you get triple pillow top, four, bo- you know, you four get, posts, you get the with a canopy. Foam. You can yeah. get benefits from sleeping on it. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> level 12, the sleep number. <laughs> you just go right to sleep number, the end. Uh, there is no actual spell in the book, but that does not mean you cannot create a spell, submit it to your DM, and let him approve it. I, uh, I don't, I don't see why you couldn't. I have never really played a mage, but isn't there, isn't there a spell that lets you summon like a cabin or a, like a safe? Correct. There, yeah, yes. but Liam there be tiny hut? Yeah, but would that, there be beds in there? Yes, there would be, but y- that's Liam a, secure shelter. What's is what? A, level five, level, level six, three, spell? I believe. Oh, Liam secure shelter. Yes, it's, yeah, a, it's that an, bad. Yeah, it's an oh. invisible. Well, there you go. Look at that. Habit. You've got it's more than just a bed or You've got a bed. You got a bed. You got a kitchen and a house and a toilet. Yeah, and it a privy. It disappears. It would, be, it would be called a privy. Privy. Excuse me. Or yeah. that house. Or refresher if you're in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Refresher. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it has all the comforts Why? of home, including That's a fireplace, and it and it comfortably sleeps one person per level of the caster. But I I believe it's a level three spell. It might be level four, but I might don't wow. me on that one. But yeah, Liam and secure shelter. It's effectively an invisible log cabin. Yeah, I thought it was Cody a little bit everything. higher, so it might be I would four, but I don't know. All right. Yeah. 
but then there's Liaman's the... tiny, tiny Hut, which is basically just an invisible dome mm-hmm. that you just roll out your bed. Your bed rolls in, and you know no one can see you, and you're safe. So, or, obviously, yeah. if you can get a cool magic hut at level 3 or 4, you could easily summon a bedroll at level 1. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to make up the you spell need, yourself. You though. need to make up the spell. Well, there isn't an there, uh, Is there? Well, there's a spell that allows you to store bedrolls, because you can use a spell called Rope Trick, which will lead into an extra-dimensional space where you can just stash a couple of bedrolls. Okay. Because the space that you crawl into, uh, effectively because you're stretching a rope out, and you, when you climb up it, you're in the extra-dimensional space. What's in there is, I guess, technically really up to you. So you Dude, I just realized what that is. It's a cone of silence. Get smart. No, because that would actually work. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it not... doesn't work because they don't have a wizard. They just have some tech Hey, hey, it, it, yeah. it, it's not that. It's the That's science. what they're trying to replicate. It, it, science. Magic is merely science. It's not explained. I'm so, so happy. There's really no magic yet. It's amazing. It's the best day of my life. <laughs> I demand a pocket of silence. Yes. All right. So you so got I mean, a lot. That's, that's a good option. There's yeah. There's several things that you can literally use. And I mean, if you're not dimensional pocket of some sort. Yeah, you can yeah. just. Um, Although I mean, really, if I had if you a had dimensional to. pocket, I don't know why I'd be storing something as mundane as a bedroll. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you had just a bag of holding, you just throw a couple in there and just pull them yep. out at your leisure. All right. So even if you're not a wizard, you could totally do this. There's a lot of mundane ways to do it and a lot of low-level ways that you can kind of work around. But there's no specific spell that says create bedrolls. Awesome. Okay. Uh, we'll wrap this one up with this one. So Christopher writes... Hello, Christopher. Welcome to Game Report. So I just played the Red Box version of Dungeons & Dragons over the summer. And? And I had a lot of fun. And I was wondering, what should I get next? When uh, looking for Dungeons & Dragons material. I hear a lot of people like three, the 3.5 edition of the game. Uh, or should I go to 4th? What should don't, I get? Don't go to 4th. Let's go around the table. Let's get everyone's opinions here. Start a year! Get Firefly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's going to jump to something else. All right. Sorry. No, that's fine. No, no, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's, Get a great, that's a great. It is uh, a great, great mechanic. System. It's a great yeah. system. And I like the fact you don't have to level up, so you don't have to worry about. Okay, now uh, I just leveled up. What do I have to add or here, there? Yeah, you just keep going. All right. Let's say three point five. I've heard nothing good of four, so. You need to get closer to the mic. How about now? Eat there. the mic. Yay! <laughs> Eat the mic. Uh, Use your big boy voice. I haven't really heard anything good about. Or yet, so yeah. Right. Yeah, and at this point, the reviews are in. You know, it's not like there's new. Even Wizard new said, "Oops, we made no a mistake." No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Skip fourth. There, there is no fourth. Fourth, fourth messed up. D and D so bad that the next iteration isn't going to be called fifth edition. They had to go away with the number system altogether, and it's now just D and D next. Man, they and, could just surprise us and go. Oh, they might just else. come out and say, "Yeah, this is D and D one." D and D. The Dragon Experience. No, no, they're going to go yeah. the way of Microsoft and call it D&D 1. Yeah, go back. <laughs> yeah, we can call it D1. D&D D1. D1. I get to, I played D1. Or 360. But uh, I would say, I would either say if you are having fun playing Redbox, continue playing Redbox. Well, isn't the Redbox based? The Redbox is a fourth edition version, isn't it? I thought Redbox was uh, 
the re the relaunch yeah, of uh, the core yeah, rules. The reprint of the re- uh, reprint second of edition. Second edition. Second edition. Okay. 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 I, yeah. I, I, I mean, if you had playing. fun, yeah, if you had fun, fun yeah. Honestly, it. I love second edition. It's great. That was how. Um, that was where I cut my teeth. That's my where I started out. Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, like Fagun said, that's where he started out. It it's a very, I would say, like user friendly version. You, it's very easy to customize and change. There are a few tw- quirks, you know, like the Thacko. You got to go, but yeah, you're down. going down instead of up. Which um, is a little weird. You do have to have but man. You specific, feel so awesome when you're like, uh, do I stats. get a negative twenty-two? Yeah, you do have to have a specific stats to say to play certain specialty classes. But it's a really good system. Uh, uh, so I would either say go with second or three-five. You know, third is okay, but three-five fixes three most five of. Three-five polishes it. Yeah. D and D next is coming out just a few months away. You can wait and just jump on that. So you can just, yeah. you just pay fun playing Redbox yeah. until or, yeah. or play Firefly in the meantime. Until then, play Firefly. <laughs> See, I'm sick of epic fantasy. Yeah. So, um, Gamma World is same company, same folks, mm-hmm. but it's Apocalypse. So, and it's very, it's simplified. It's kind of like um, Wrath of a Shardalon and, um, you know, Drizzt, all that stuff that Wizards put out. Yeah. Um, so, it's, you know, it's randomized, it's simple, it's easy, and you can put in a quick session really fast and not have to worry about, you know, a six-hour character creation session. Yeah, because it's, it's random for everybody. Yeah. You have literally the most insane combinations of, like, I think I played Gamma World a couple of times. I was once a two-dimensional alien being with phasing powers or something yeah, it like was, that. It's crazy stuff. Uh, also, Iron Kingdoms is a really fun Oh, you can't too. miss on that one. And, yeah, all you need is just a handful of D6s. It's amazing. Well, and not that, even if you pick the same, because you use two classes to merge together, even if you pick the same two classes, you probably won't run the same type of character just because you pick different... So many different things. It's, it's, even, it's even more amazing if you yeah. have Larry Korea roll up your character. Oh, yes. <laughs> because then they're all like... Barney Stinson. Yeah, I wish I would have read that right, because I would have played the hell out of Barney Stinson. Yeah. That's okay. But sadly, I played Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. You did a good job. I'm the type of person who would spend days, weeks in preparation my character. I would make a ninja oh, yeah? pirate. Yeah. yeah, then we're definitely doing Fireflies Saturday so because we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, so we've got four minutes left. I think we're done with that one. Yeah. I mean, really, it's just an advice one. There's, it's not really... There's real no I've good... Got, to do it. I seriously, I've got so many recommendations. It's really a matter of what do you like yeah, and we are how sitting, do you think... I mean, Pathfinder's a good one. We are literally I mean, it really is a 3-5... That's just been recovered. That, yeah. That's been that's been refined to the point where it almost beats the ever living crap out of it's, it's like spawning the, yeah. point three point five. It's really like the Oracle from Matrix. They just got a new shell again with the Matrix. Yes, because uh, we have the operator. Mr. Wizard, get me the hell out of here! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna wrap this show up. Uh, we have some amazing shows coming up. We are booked till July. Uh, we have Deborah Coates on next week. We'll be talking to her about her new book, Strange, Strange Country. Country. The following week, we will wrap up the Sundering series with Ed Greenwood well, coming on the show. That is a show not. That is a that is a show not to miss. They're all shows not to miss. Literally, but you that will, is definitely one. This is a show it? that you will want to call in because you will actually get to speak to the voice of God. <laughs> I mean, it may <laughs> really? be the God of Faroon, 
But it is the voice of God. He did create the in, an entire world, and that was Pharaoh. Uh, that is yeah, Forgotten Realms. I mean, honestly. That's all. Uh, yeah. If you don't know who Ed Greenwood is, you've been living under a rock, and um, you need to level up your geekhood by listening to the show. Uh, and then... Uh, it just the keeps going. Just so easy to listen it is. to. And then the following week after that, we got the guys that sang the YouTube hit sensation uh, Talk Nerdy to Me coming on the show. And then uh, then we have fan- the guys that are doing FantasyCon coming on the following week in June. And it Man. just keeps going. It I just, mean, it just, keeps, it just keeps stacking and yep, stacking yep. and stacking. It's going to get better and better. And it's, it's a shame it's not like Magic where, you know, the, 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 the last one or the first one played the last one out. Yeah. So we'll, well just keep rolling with our show. Um, we're just leveling up. Go to our Facebook page, like it. Uh, tell your friends to like it. Tell your friends to All like of it. Them. Tell your friends' friends to like it. If they want be free sure stuff, to, keep be an sure eye to on check out our archives. Free stuff on, is coming. It's on its way. And be sure to catch our archives on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other things where your music and or podcasts come from? Yes. I mean, even if you can't catch the show tonight, you can always catch it later. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess we better end this off now. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, about that time. So, it is that uh, time. Special thanks to MB Design Studios and Epic Puzzles and Games. If you need a logo made for a t-shirt or a banner of any kind or your company just needs a nice, fresh look, just contact Nate at nbdesignstudios.com or MB Design Studios on Facebook and uh, have Nate set you up. He'll follow you through the whole process and follow up with you afterwards. So uh, I guess with that being said, good night, Salt Lake, good night, world, and as always, please, get more from your games. You damn communist heathen, you best sound off you love the Virgin Mary, or I'll stop your guts out. Now, do you love the Virgin Mary, don't ya? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. I don't know how to end that. <laughs> well... We might hear from you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>